it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So much going on on this Tuesday. So glad you're here. Alan West at the bottom of the hour. We're going to bring him to the Texas standoff with the federal government. I've never seen anything quite like this. And the state, uh, they don't want to mess with Texas. There's too much downside politically for the president. Uh, and there's a lot at stake now. Emily Austin, just fresh off a visit to Israel, uh, was actually lived a significant amount of time there. Now back here uh, as a commentator. You see her all over the channel. She's going to be with us in 15 minutes. And, of course, we'll take your calls. If you ever want to get the show and you, and you leave your affiliate uh, in the region, if you go to the Fox News app, you just click on Watch. And you just swipe from the channel to the business channel to Fox News Radio. You can go and you actually can see the show because we stream it on Fox Nation. And a lot of our guests now are going to start going up on Skype and FaceTime and uh, things to that nature. And Zoom, who knows? So uh, we have a lot to go over, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We've seen with the president is he's made some decisions, whether it's um, working with his EPA to ban gas-driven cars, banning or a moratorium on exporting of natural gas. He's actually having to play to his base to a degree that's really uncomfortable at this stage of a campaign. 2024, the Biden team is joining Travis Kelsey and many Americans in asking for some quality time with Taylor Swift. How they believe she can help their team win, because when she endorsed them in 2020, they got 35,000 more votes. But they think they did. And by the way, uh, time to panic if you're leaning on Taylor Swift nine months before an election. Number two. I've been an active Republican my whole life. Every once in a while, part of the party becomes suicidally stupid. (laughs) That bill is suicidally stupid. It makes no sense. I, I, I will oppose it every way I can. Well, there you go. Newt Gingrich, former speaker. Chaos in every phase of border security. As Texas stands strong against President Biden and a massive border deal is dividing before it's even released. And the world's refugees break our laws by streaming in illegally and overrunning every major city. Number one. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. But we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves and to respond appropriately to these attacks. You think? Uh, John Kirby, Admiral, we are waiting, waiting for anyone in the Biden administration to inspire confidence that we have a plan to pay back Iran for the proxy attacks that killed three Americans and wounded dozens. If we don't act strongly, more U.S. forces will die. I do not know, understand why people have trouble understanding this. Because you're willing to act and you have a strong defense doesn't mean you want war. You mean you prevent it. And people know that if we take shots at American troops and they hit and they kill, we are going to pay a massive price so we should not try it. Why do people not understand that? We wait to get our guys killed. We pretend that traumatic brain injuries are minor injuries when when our bases get rocketed. Forty more are struggling for their lives. There's no proof that we're any more prepared today to protect them in Jordan than we were over the weekend, when clearly we're not enough. The attack on our ships and our ally ships uh, shut down the Red Sea. We hit them back, but clearly not effective enough to stop them, because over the weekend, a U.K. barge was blown up, and they're still trying to put the fire out. 
understand, too, that Bloomberg reports, and we've been over this, that the financing for all of this terror activity flows through Iran's oil sales, which we have let them do, in my view, to keep the oil price down and to let them know that we want to be friends, not like that mean Donald Trump guy. And because of that, the oil price came down. We already emptied our strategic oil reserves. President Biden knew at the midterms if gas prices were high, he was doomed. If it wasn't for abortion, it would have been a red wave anyway. And the lack of messaging on the right. So now, as Bloom, I'm just going to remove myself from this. Bloomberg saying American financing is really financing the terror against our troops. Are you okay with that? I just talked to the parents of the slain soldier, 24-year-old woman, whose whole family at some point, the cousins, the dad, everybody seems to have served in the military, sleeping, they think, in the barracks, dies. Why is that? Suddenly, Iran can afford drones for Russia, drones for Hezbollah, the most sophisticated military equipment for Hamas, Islamic Jihad, as well as this Hezbollah force in Iraq, who they say is responsible for this. And I bring you back to a quote. President Biden has been wrong on every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. Those words from a man who used to work with him, former Secretary of Defense under Obama and Bush, Robert Gates. But yet, all we get is these words, we don't want war with Iran. We don't want war with Iran. Wait a second. It's like a guy punches you in your face and you say, I don't want to fight you. Well, they keep punching you in the face. You don't have a choice. You have to fight. You don't need to say you don't have to fight. And don't pretend you don't want to fight when you, the fight has already started. It doesn't matter what you want. We're in it. Cut one. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. But we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves, to continue that mission, and to respond appropriately to these attacks. But, Admiral, we're always in retaliation mode. Ukraine, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're going to take Hong Kong. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? They're, they're uh, in the Middle East. Uh, Hamas is uh, on the march. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about the Houthi rebels rocketing our ships? What are we going to do about it? Cut to. Is the president currently actively considering <coughs> potential attacks inside Iran? We are not looking for a war with Iran. We are not seeking a conflict with the regime uh, in a military way. Um, and as I said in the, in the opening, we're not uh, we're not looking to escalate here. This attack over the weekend was escalatory. Make no mistake about it, and it requires a response. Make no mistake about that. Okay. We're not looking to escalate. I know. I've been in the country before. We don't walk around looking to escalate conflicts, especially ones that don't exist. We'll put sanctions, restrictions. We're not sitting there bombing people and then trying to bomb again and begging them to retaliate. We're pretty sure that doesn't how, that's not how America functions. But the fact is we're never on our front foot. They didn't know options ahead of time when they've already hit us 160 times. To tell you how overmatched KJP is and why they have to bring in John Kirby Here's an example. Cut five. Our deepest, uh, obviously our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three brave, of, uh, three folks who are who are military folks who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration of the American people. Exactly. Uh, that went well, didn't it? Can you say soldiers? Can you say troops? Can you say Americans? Number one, 
And number two is fighting on behalf of the administration. You crazy? They were sleeping. They're not allowed to fight. They're not allowed to blow up the people who got the guns. They can only knock the missile out of the air before it hits them. That's the new rules of engagement over there. And finally, before I take a break, Mike Pompeo said it best. It doesn't matter what you want. Iran has already made a decision. Cut 10. It's pretty clear that the Biden administration's policies have resulted in a huge conflagration. I hear people talking about whether we're going to end up at war with Iran. I I can assure you the Iranians are at war with the United States today. They've now killed American servicemen. These three certainly in these past days. If we stay on our back foot, if we continue to be reactive, if we continue to say, gosh, when they do something, we're going to we're going to hold them accountable. The Iranians will continue at this and it will not only be in Israel and Gaza. It will be all across the world. During the New York Times today, just saying how the administration uh, could have this election taken from them because of the foreign policy. And it doesn't often happen that foreign policy determines the future of your administration or whether you get another four years. But that could indeed be the case. He gets everything wrong. Remember, he uh, misjudged Ukraine. He did not get them javelins and harpoons and steal them up before the invasion, predicted they'd fall in four days. Thankfully, they didn't because he can't enunciate about the war because he slow walks weapons. It is still dragging on and people are having trouble uh, selling their constituents and their base on a war that this president is trying to run. And then October 7th, eight days prior, Jake Sullivan comes out and says the Middle East has never been calmer in my lifetime than it is right now. Seven days later, eight days later, the most brutal attack and massacre of the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Good job with the intelligence. Great job on the heads up. We know about the the dismount from Afghanistan, the single biggest disaster in my lifetime. And the president says nobody told me it could go this bad. General McKenzie, General Milley dispute that directly, but president's not held accountable. We will. That's what we're dealing with. So when we come back, Emily Austin joins us, brings us inside society uh, in uh, Israel right now, what they're thinking, the, how long Prime Minister Netanyahu will last, and should they do this Hamas deal, this prisoner swap for hostages. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Busy day. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, Emily Austin with us now, fresh off her visit to Israel. Uh, she's an advocate for the Jewish community big time. You could also follow her at Emily Austin. You can see her on uh, Gutfeld. Also, you have your own NBA show. How diverse are you? 
I mean, you know, everybody likes basketball. Most people like politics but hate to admit it. So right. I just get the best of both worlds. You do. So, Emily, you just went to Israel. What's your takeaway? My takeaway is that everyone's very hurt. Um, needless to say, everyone's been directly affected. It was very melancholy and, you know, unlike any other visit I've had. I'm used to, like, beach and schnitzel and, and going out and visiting family. And this time it was just, like, more showing my solidarity and my support. And I think that they need it. Is there a sense that they're at war? Oh, absolutely. Every, every city? I was jumping every five minutes because you hear a bomb. It's actually funny. It, it's coming from Israel. They're launching the rockets, and you hear it, and you feel the vibration in your body. And then a sense of mourning. Like, not only did the October 7th victims die, but everyday soldiers are dying. So every day there's a funeral and a memorial and just so much loss on, on both ends, honestly. But you, you feel it. It's not like nobody when, feels when it. When were you there? Uh, during Hanukkah, so like early December, mid-December. Right, so now that uh, we've, we're talking about now the hostages and we see the daily protests going on over there to get the hostages out and remind the prime minister, it's the balance between finishing off Hamas and getting the hostages out. Right. Now there's a rumor that there's some type of deal in place or close to be in place. Hamas is studying where they stop for three weeks, give up hostages. For every one hostage they get back, six Palestinian prisoners and if it's IDF, it's going to be 12 to 18 prisoners. Is that wow. something with the sentiment of the Israeli people is is the desperation to get the hostages back, which is understandable, enough to accept a deal like this? If you asked me this two months ago, honestly speaking, I'd say no. Today, hearing the horrors of, of women coming back with babies in their womb and the rape that now firsthand people witnessed – it was easy to say no a few months ago. Today would be a lot harder. At the same time, I'm like, if I could have a conversation with BB, I'd say, hey, release them and then kill them all. You know? Well, they, <laughs> but know. If, they can't do that. But, you know, if they could, that'd be ideal. Yeah. Two months ago, I would have told you no. Today, I'm like, get them back at, I don't, I don't want to say at any cost. I think six is fair. 18 is whoa. By the way, six is not fair. But to bring them home, you know, it was easy for me to say no before I met the families. And now that I spoke to people who returned from Gaza, I just posted yesterday on Instagram. I went crazy viral firsthand what they witnessed and what they went through. I'd never wish that upon my worst enemy. Tell me what you're hearing. So I spoke to a 17 year old boy who was a basketball player. We'll get into basketball in a minute. But he was telling me how a he wasn't fed. He wasn't drinking. Everyone was sick and they weren't getting visitations. There was no sunlight. There was nothing. You in mean the this room. is a hostage. Yeah, he was 17 years old. He was there for two months. Um, they beat them up. They didn't feed them. The woman he wasn't with, he was with two men. And every single day they told them, right, you know, your last note, we're going to kill you. We're going to put you outside and we're going to let Israel bomb you. And we're going to say that your own people killed you. Oh, wait, never mind. We're going to train you and turn you into militia and you're going to go kill your own people. And if not, we'll kill you. And just like a lot of psychological torture that they put them through in addition to physical abuse. So it's like on both ends, they were just getting abused every single day. And to think that's going on for hundreds of days now. Well, to uh, think it's happening, you know, not to say that it's more important for women to get out, but we know what they're doing to them. Like the fact that we have confirmation that women miss their periods in Gaza, I'm so nauseous even thinking about the fact that they're not coming home with like six weeks pregnant at this point. They're coming home probably with a bump, with a terrorist, murderer, psychopath's child in their stomach. And someone like me, who's like so against abortion, I would not have a kid with a Hamas terrorist. So it's it's so messed up on every single – no matter how you look at it, it's the worst. So there's this U.N. group organization 
that is now shown to be 12 of which took part in the actual massacre and 139 have direct links to Hamas, if not Mm -hmm. members of Hamas. Is there a sense in Israel that they knew not only is the U.N. against them, but they're working with Hamas? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I was at the U.N., I was so I I was very new to all of this, the United Nations. Because you you work for the ambassador. Yeah. And I I asked him, I said, is it normal that Iran is on the Human Rights Council? And he's like, that's the United Nations. You know, the fact that the secretary general would rather, you know, he he waited three months to condemn the rape of women when there was ample proof on both sides of of politics. You know, this is not a political issue. Rape is rape. So you should condemn it no matter what. And the fact that the United Nations is so against Israel that they allow these evil injustices to occur right before their eyes and not condemn it just shows how evil and cruel they are and unjust. And honestly, like they're so useless. Uh, Emily Austin, our guest. Emily, uh, there's a sense that America is going to start slow walking the weapons to Israel because we're asking them to be more uh, more disseminating in their attacks. They're too broad, too many civilians caught in the crossfire. That's Hamas's fault. That's not Israel's fault. I've never met a militia that will send out pamphlets and warnings and alerts. Hey, evacuate this area because we're attacking. That's overly generous, in my opinion. War is war. People die, and it's not fair. But the fact that Hamas is barricading women and children and men and and young boys and journalists as human shields, every ounce of bloodshed is for Hamas to blame, not the IDF. There's also a push for this administration to work on a two-state solution and condemn Netanyahu for saying it won't work. Palestinians don't want a two-state solution. We had a two-state solution ceasefire October 6th, and we see exactly what the land that we give up turns into. They turn into terror capitals. Gaza has this misconception that they were this open-air prison, concentration camp. No, they were they're, – they're a beachfront resort, could have been like resort-filled – vacation destination and they turned it into uh, terror tunnels and uh, turning hospitals into uh, missile storages and nurseries into missile launchers and just totally corrupted the beautiful piece of land that could have been the modern day Singapore. Is it possible for you like to say, I'm going to go to the West Bank today? Absolutely. First of all, I'm a woman. (laughs) That's A. So all the eyes are on me. Um, I don't know if they follow Sharia law, but they don't have respect for women there. And now in addition to being a woman, I'm a Jew. So, of course not. If I was there, probably in five minutes, I'd be either kidnapped or murdered. No, like, this isn't me being racist or apartheid. That's the reality. You cannot go into the West Bank and you cannot go into Gaza because they are apartheid. They're ethnic cleansing the Jews, not Israel. Is there a sense it's going to go on for a long time? The war? I'd like for it to end sooner, and I'd like for Israel to do what they need to do and for America to not tell them how to deal with their 9-11. But I I fear that if America keeps putting pressure, they might listen, and I don't blame them for that because America is, of course, a strong ally. But um, I'm really bothered by the fact that America is putting pressure on them. Then now says this isn't just about us. This is about you, too, to America. Oh, yes. If they don't eradicate Hamas, we're up next. And I've seen videos. I don't know if you saw that viral video of the gentleman, the distinguished gentleman who crossed the border who said, you'll know who I am very soon, or the thick Middle Eastern accent, as if he's threatening the United States. You just crossed the border illegally. Right. Um, That's thanks to Biden. That's a full circle. That's another major story here. Maybe the story. Emily Austin, thanks so much. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. As Border Patrol Council and Border Patrol members have made clear to Texas and to myself, uh, they want to have nothing to do with regard to 
tearing down that razor wire or tearing down the barriers that Texas has erected for one simple reason. And that's because they are working. Border Patrol says that what Texas has done to secure the border actually makes their job even easier. The only resistance we're facing is coming from Joe Biden. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, that is the governor of Texas who is uh, building up this razor wire wall and putting uh, putting containers on the border that he could see, especially in this park, which has had no, according to the lieutenant governor, has no breaches on its border since they started taking it over from the Border Patrol. And so far, there is no clash, but the potential is always there. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director, former Florida congressman, longtime lieutenant colonel, uh, decades in the military, joins us now. Colonel, this potentially could be uh, a real problem at the border. How is it so far? Well, I think the most important thing you have to come to understand is that the Biden administration is doing everything that is unconstitutional. Uh, I don't care what the Supreme Court decided. Their their, uh, decision was wrong. You cannot abdicate your responsibility to protect the sovereignty of the United States of America and then think that you can federalize other folks' uh, troops, to, that meaning Texas, to aid and abet your drug, human, sex, and uh, terrorist trafficking uh, operations that are going on. So I think that it is going in the right way. I think the Border Patrol agents that are down there, they want to see the right thing done. They're not going to stand up against the people here in Texas to include our National Guard and to include our law enforcement that are down there to aid and abet and basically violate their constitutional oath that they took as well. So I think Joe Biden has chosen to die on a very, very wrong hill, and this is going to backfire on him at a time when we just lost three Americans to Iran. So why would you want to be tough on Texas, but you want to be easy on Iran? Yeah, well, we're not really sure. Uh, I don't think he knows what to do because he thinks he's got a border deal. We haven't even seen the details of the deal, but he knows he's all for it. He's all for it. Everyone's like, really? You have shown no interest in cracking down on the border. You loosen up all the asylum rooms. You got rid of, uh, so I remain in uh, Mexico. That was the key. You stop building the wall. You let it rot in the desert sun. Here's uh, Senator James yep. Langford on the dwindling, oppor- the dwindling opportunity to pass this. Cut 19. Yeah, well, it's definitely not going to let a bunch of people in. It's focused on actually turning people around on it. It is interesting. Republicans four months ago would not give funding for Ukraine, for Israel, and for our southern border because we demanded changes in policy. So we actually locked arms together and said, we're not going to give you money for this. We want a change in law. And now it's interesting, a few months later, when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. I actually don't want a change in law because it's a presidential election year. We all have an oath to the Constitution, and we have a commitment to say we're going to do whatever we can to be able to secure the border. So that is what James Lankford's been working on. You know about some of the things that are in it. Is there any? Do you? What do you think yeah. of the deal as you know it? Well, first of all, I have to completely disagree with Senator Langford. He and I served in the House together. We don't need a change in law. We just need people to uphold and enforce the law. And when you had Joe Biden that came in to change the policies of the Trump administration that was successful, that's the only thing that needs to change. So I get sick and tired of people up there in Washington playing this game, thinking that they need to do something when the only thing that needs to be done is to go back to what was established, what is correct, and the rule of law. So what Senator Langford is is doing and dealing with, 
the House of Representatives, the Speaker of the House, has already said it's dead on arrival. When you have things that are leaked out saying that we're going to have 5,000 that we're going to allow into the country illegally, that's a violation of law. And so what, are you going to change law to say that people can come in illegally? That's a slap into the face of the people that have come here legally and done the right thing by our rule of law. So, no, we don't need a change of law. We need people to uphold the law. We need people to enforce the law. And we need Joe Biden to say, I was wrong. We need to go back to the policies that were effective. Here's what Akeem Jeffries said. Cut 17. We are ready, willing, and able to work in a bipartisan way to address the challenges that exist at the border. But the extreme MAGA Republicans have been directed by Donald Trump not to work together to address the challenges at the border and instead to distract the American people. I guess he was going to say something else was as boring as his original statement, so we cut it off. So (laughs) he's all for it. He doesn't know what's in it. No, he doesn't know what's in it. And again, the challenges at the border were made by Joe Biden. And so this whole we need a bipartisan solution. And no, we don't. We need Joe Biden to say I was I screwed up and I was wrong. And we need to go back to the policies that were working. Joe Biden needs to say, I screwed up in trying to appease and acquiesce and accommodate Iran and look at what it has gotten us. So that's where the problem starts. That's where the challenge is, is in the person that is sitting in the White House. It is not about Hakeem Jeffries. It is not about Senator Lankford. It's about the one person in January of 2021 that made all these horrible decisions and reversed the policies that were working. So the president of the United States says the promise there will be a reaction to the hit on our base in Jordan, where evidently they got confused with one drone, American drone coming back and another one way drone attack drone coming in. They mixed it up. Therefore, men and women in their barracks, uh, three were killed and almost 40 were wounded. Nine looked to be seriously wounded. And they said there'll be some type of action back. Here's the deputy Pentagon press secretary, cut six. We don't seek a wider war there either, but we are going to respond when it comes to commercial ships or our ships or um, our partners' vessels being targeted and therefore uh, jeopardizing international trade and putting at risk innocent mariners. Um, So, again, we don't seek war, but we will take action um, and respond to attacks on our forces. So what do you think it would be? What would uh, Alan West do? Well, what Alan West would have done is not allowed to get to this uh, situation first and foremost. I would not have been easing up on the oil sanctions uh, on Iran. Now they're flush with cash. Uh, The very first time they had uh, stuck their head up to do something like this, we would have made sure that uh, specific military targets and capabilities would have been attacked. But the thing that Alan West would not do is I would not stand up there and say what I'm not willing to do. I would not stand up and say we're not looking to do this and we don't want to do that, which, uh, again, that emboldens and encourages Iran. And so they should have had a target set that was ready to go in case anything like this were to happen because Iran is going to continue to escalate. I mean, over 160 different attacks on our troops. You know, we should have never given them $6 billion. We should have never sought to go back into the Iranian nuclear agreement. But again, those are the policies of this Biden administration, policies that have encouraged Iran. So would you hit hit their infrastructure? 
Well, anything that allows for the capability and capacity of the type of attacks that we've seen, uh, any lines of communications and supply lines that are supporting these uh, client organizations, the Houthis, all these other Islamic jihadist organizations, that's what you go after. Uh, where they're manufacturing and creating drones, that's what I would go after. But I will tell you the most important thing that we need to do is we need to get our own energy independence back. Uh, and again, that was a, a decision that the Biden administration made that we would destroy our own energy sector, oil and gas and energy independence, and we bolstered everybody else's to include Russia and, uh, and Iran and Venezuela. So that has to be another policy change. Everything comes right back to the decisions right. that Joe Biden made in January 2021. So if I want to know my foreign policy, a lot of people would go to you or Michael Waltz. Uh, or somebody that fought overseas, like Dan Crenshaw. Other people wanted to hear from Congresswoman Jayapal. So for those people, I give you these nuggets of wisdom. Cut eight. I think that people are too quick to rush, and uh, I think we need to be extremely cautious. And again, Congress needs to be a part of these consultations because this is turning into a a big war. It's why I've called for a ceasefire from the very beginning. Right. Uh, Let's have a ceasefire right after the October 7th attacks. That'll be great. And then let's just stop. Yeah. Uh, let's just calm down. So let's just tell Hamas to calm down and Hezbollah to stop with the rockets and Khatib uh, Hezbollah to stop killing our people. Uh, and let's just get those militias in Iraq to stop doing it. And by the way, the Houthi rebels. Could she work on that? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what has happened with this administration. You know, going to Iran saying, will you please not do this? Well, again, that just emboldens them because they know that you're not going to do anything in response or retribution to their uh, escalated actions. And so we have seen all this. I mean, remember, Iran supports Hamas. Hamas killed Americans on October the 7th. Hamas is holding Americans hostage right now. And what are we sitting around doing? We're sitting around talking about, uh, let's talk about it. And uh, it's, it's not about if, or but it's going to it's win or, or whatever, all this rhetoric. But where is Joe Biden going today? He's going to do two campaign fundraisers. Uh, Joe Biden needs to be in the Situation Room. He needs to be getting briefings. He needs to be going over what our response will be instead of running off to a, uh, a fundraisers or going out and asking Taylor Swift to endorse his campaign. Which is crazy. I mean, they act like, number one, it's news that Clinton and Obama will show up for a fundraiser. I imagine that's a no-brainer. Number one, do you still want Bill Clinton at this point? After the Epstein revelations, does that help you? And number two is your secret weapon is Taylor Swift nine months out if she'll endorse you again? I mean, that's unbelievable to me. Well, that that shows the reason why the American people have no faith, trust, and confidence in this president and his administration uh, because of the weakness that they're showing. And I have some uh, very close friends who knew one of the individuals that was killed uh, from Georgia because they they were a reserve unit from Georgia. So uh, I had some good text message exchange and phone conversations. They're upset because they feel that their loved one lost their lives unnecessarily. I mean, how do you how do you tell them any differently? You leave them as sitting ducks. Intelligence not responding. How do you say anything differently? Uh, we were with. Uh, I talked to the parents of one of the the 24-year-old uh, specialists that lost her life. They've had their whole family's been in the military uh, virtually on, yeah. a, on every generation. And they're kind of stoic about the whole thing and know his knew the risks at stake. But when they find out the details, 
I imagine it might be different. Uh, thanks so much, Colonel Allen West. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I got some of your emails. I'll go through them. I also want to give you some other responses of what people say should happen now that our guys have been, our people have been killed. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Michigan is kind of a a real good news, bad news for the Biden campaign. So, you know, last week, the UAW uh, gave Biden a real full-throated endorsement, which is something that Biden and the campaign had been pursuing for months, right? So it's great when it comes to blue-collar voters, working-class voters, locking down that kind of organizational muscle. On the other hand, in Michigan, there's a large Arab-American community, large Palestinian community that is outraged over how Biden has conducted his Middle East policy, the support he's given to Israel. And you're seeing some real signs of division there. Biden's campaign manager was in Michigan last Friday for some private meetings with various community leaders. Uh, Several Arab American Muslim community leaders, elected officials, got that invitation to meet with her and said, we talked to our community. There's no way we're going to meet with you. Mm -hmm. Our community says nothing that you can say short of a ceasefire that's going to make us vote for Biden, get get into his corner. So... The one thing Republicans have to do to take advantage of that is not say anything because Republicans would be more active for Israel, almost all of them, than Joe Biden. So that's not going to win over those votes. I think a lot of them are just going to stay home because they're so upset. But Joe Biden's lack of communication, lack of uh, not taking the time to explain what his method is. And the only time you find out about things that might be be uh, music to the ears of Muslims who are pro-Palestinian and Hamas if you just care about votes and not the country, which I think in this case the Biden administration can't be disseminating because they need so many, if you do do that, he can't go out and explain himself. He can't go out and talk about this is democracy in the region we've had a long history with. They have no choice uh, but to respond massively to the October 7th attack. The carnage that they witnessed is absolutely true. We will show you the pictures. We will show you the video. We'll come to a, a, a mosque near you and reveal it. But he doesn't do that. He has policies. He watches the protests. He pretends like they don't exist. And people in Michigan go, wow, he doesn't even care enough to explain himself. Kurt is listening in Oklahoma City. Hey, Kurt. Hi, Brian. Uh, I'm retired Air Force, and every American aircraft and allied aircraft has what they call an IFF transponder. It identifies friend or foe. And if they had a drone in the air and they had another drone coming in that they didn't have an IFF signal from, somebody had to make the call not to fire on that strange drone, that unidentified drone. Why is nobody asking that question? I think we will, and I think it is happening. I mean, we haven't talked to any military people about it. Only analysts, and it sounds like you know a lot, analysts who have been there before to speculate. But I think that will be coming out. Obviously, you have to make split-second decisions. You see it on police every single day. And we watch the body cam video. Here you have a situation where you see a drone, and one thing they did make clear to us, they could not make out. If it was ours or not, which is crazy, makes me wonder, did they get sophisticated enough to mask it? Were they waiting for our drone to return because we didn't have one-way drones? We got we had surveillance drones that go out and come back. Were they waiting for that moment? I don't know. 
you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't know because I know to the eye most of these drones are not visible. So we'll see. And Kurt, you got to wonder are they are they safe today? If they got through one time, what about now? Roger, listen W H U B in Tennessee. Hey Roger. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, 33 people, uh, Americans, were killed in the original attack. Yes. And I don't know what the retaliation was. Two Navy SEALs and now three of our service people were killed. And I don't know what the retaliation was. And we still have 13 missing. And I don't see why people aren't talking about this total of 51 Americans caught up in this. And I don't, I don't see any retaliation. Roger, I hear you. We never talk about the Americans. That's bad on me, too. But I think it's a dual citizenship living there type thing rather than even though I know some people on Long Island that have family there and New Jersey has family there. I also think when you have the hostage situation, it's delicate in that the more concern that we show, the more leverage our enemy has. So that is why some of the families are brought in and say, listen, let's keep it low. If I could do this behind the scenes, uh, I think we'll have a better chance. And that's why some families stay quiet for a while. I understand that school of thought. John in California. John. Good morning, Brian. I wanted to share my experience in uh, 1988 when we had a great president. Samuel B. Roberts hit a mine uh, planted by Iran. We retaliated four days later by knocking out half their Navy. You hit the bully in the mouth. You don't hit the bully's friends. That's the way That's the way Ronald Reagan did things. And uh, we're not going to see that till we get a new president. I hear you. And people say, well, do you, are you a warmonger? John, are you a warmonger? No. If you want to prevent war, have a great defense and make people realize what a deterrent that actually is. And then show a willingness to use it. I wish it was a different uh, place in the world where they didn't they didn't understand pure force is the only way to control. But still, the same thing that happened centuries ago is happening today. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country and around the world. Uh, Donald Trump could hear today about the verdict on his uh, civil trial when this uh, Letitia James is trying to take his business from him and ban the kids from doing real estate deals for five years and Donald Trump forever in New York. Also, we have Ambassador Gordon Sundland here, uh, former uh, EU uh, and U.S. ambassador to, to the European Union. And Sid Rosenberg coming to us uh, well to in Israel. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We've seen with the president is he's made some decisions, whether it's um, working with his EPA to ban gas-driven cars, banning or a moratorium on exporting of natural gas. He's actually having to play to his base to a degree that's really uncomfortable at this stage of a campaign. You think? Uh, 2024, Biden team is joining Travis Kelsey and many Americans and asking for some quality time with Taylor Swift, how they believe she can be their difference in their team. If after three years you need Taylor Swift to get another four years, you're failing. Number two. I've been an active Republican my whole life. Every once in a while, part of the party becomes suicidally stupid. (laughs) That bill is suicidally stupid. It makes no sense. I, I, I will oppose it every way I can. Chaos in every phase of border security as Texas stands strong against Joe Biden. A massive border deal is dividing 
before it's even released. And the world's refugees break our laws by streaming in illegally, and almost no one's there to stop them. Number one. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. But we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves and to respond appropriately to these attacks. John Kirby, we are waiting, waiting for anyone in the Biden administration to inspire confidence that they have a plan to pay back Iran for their proxy attacks that killed three Americans and wounded dozens. If we don't act strongly, more U.S. forces will die. With me right now is Ambassador Gordon Sunland to go inside the challenges of the Middle East and the ongoing war with Ukraine and Russia. Ambassador, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Nice to be here. Ambassador, Ambassador, what do you think an appropriate response is that would send the right message to Iran that this cannot happen again? I'm talking about the rocketing of our base in, in Jordan. Look, Brian, I don't envy anyone having to make these decisions right now. There are a lot of pundits on the air with uh, sort of very cheap advice. Go hit them hard. Go do this. Go do that. There are a lot of domino effects that President Biden is going to encounter no matter what he does, including doing nothing, by the way. That having been said, I think we should shut up for a change. We should not have Admiral Kirby out there talking about time and place of choosing. We should not have photos of the president in earnest conversation in the Situation Room with uh, Secretary Austin. You know, these look plotting and deliberate. We should be deadly quiet and we should attack. And those attacks should include naval assets. They should include uh, industrial assets of Iran. And we should quit pretending that we're not at war with Iran. We are at war with Iran. We haven't gone to the kinetic phase yet. But in all other aspects, we are at war with Iran. Uh, here's what uh, and Mike Pompeo said, and it's ironically a lot like yours. Cut 10. It's pretty clear that the Biden administration's policies have resulted in a huge conflagration. I hear people talking about whether we're going to end up at war with Iran. I, I can assure you the Iranians are at war with the United States today. They've now killed American servicemen. These three certainly in these past days. If we stay on our back foot, if we continue to be reactive, if we continue to say, gosh, when they do something, we're going to we're going to hold them accountable the Iranians will continue at this. And it will not only be in Israel, in Gaza, it will be all across the world. So you see through it. They see through it. I'm not convinced anyone in the Biden administration sees through it. You know, the adults in the room that we kept hearing about. So Jake Sullivan, who said the Middle East has never been calmer. Brian, what I think the, the, you know, elite Georgetown-educated folks in the NSC and in the State Department miss is, The Iranians, in many ways, are pretty simple. They always double down. And once they've doubled down, they double down again. And once they've doubled down again, they double down again. It's really that simple. And thinking that there is some kind of a rheostat that you can turn up or down with Iran, we move a little gingerly, we do a pinprick, they back off. That's not how they operate. And history has shown time and time again, they always double down. So you you saw that this was uh, the uh, Qatab Hezbollah. You know about the Houthi rebels. You know about the other militias that are located in Iraq that decided suddenly to take aim at our 2,500 troops. But you know it all comes from Iran. So what is the right appropriate action now that you would consider? Anything short of hitting Iran do you think is the wrong message? Anything short of hitting Iran is the wrong message. And I'm tired of talking about their proxies. I'm tired of talking about Hamas and Hezbollah. We should be talking about Iran. 
And this is a little contrary to what I said two minutes ago. Right now, we shouldn't be talking. There should be deadly quiet coming from the Biden administration. And we should be enlisting, which I hope they're doing, enlisting our other allies in the Middle East, other than Israel, to join us in this effort, whether it's tacit support, whether it's public support. And we should be starting with naval assets and the oil fields. Uh, we should make it very, very expensive. When President Trump was president, whether you liked him or you didn't like him, to a certain degree, he had Iran contained, at least financially. He had them strangled in terms of their oil output. They were doing, you know, two, 2.2 million barrels a day. They were down to a couple of hundred thousand barrels a day. And one of my jobs was to talk the Europeans out of using the bartering system that they had to get around our sanctions. And we were making really good progress because, as you know, it costs money to do mischief. You can't do it for free. You cut off the money. At some point, the mischief goes away. So here's what Bloomberg wrote today in their op-ed. America is subsidizing Iran's fight against America. The Pentagon will present the White House with military options. Close the petrodollar spigot. Over the last year or so, Iran has been able to boost its oil production to a five-year high of at 3.2 million barrels a day, earning billions. And that makes that, despite draconian U.S. sanctions, precisely targeting, at least on paper, Iran's oil industry. The extra money has bankrolled the country and, by extension, its proxies in Syria, Iraq, Yemen, and Lebanon. How much extra money is rolling in from oil? We cannot be certain, but my back-of-the-envelope arithmetic suggests Iran pocketed the non-trivial sum of more than $10 billion last year thanks to a higher oil spigot. So think about that, America. We are allowing the oil to be, uh, to be uh, sold, and we're funding our own, uh, our own attacks. Brian, when you looked at the videos of those tunnels under Gaza, those were really expensive tunnels. They were deep, they were well-engineered, they had air conditioning, they had heat, they had all of the infrastructure to actually live in, and in fact, our hostages are living there right now. Those don't come without money, and that money came from Iran, and that money came through oil sales, exactly as you point out. That's where we had Iran uh, in 2019, 2018, we had them down. You said they were doing over $3 million a day. They were doing about 250000 a day toward the end of the Trump administration. So, Major difference. Right. And now they say that, you know, I was looking at one of the weapons inspectors. They believe that they're just weeks away from a nuclear weapon. If they wanted to, they could get one in, in, in weeks. How does that change your calculus? Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't change my calculus any more than dealing with North Korea, than dealing with Russia. Um, we are in a nuclear age, and the sad thing is that there may be a nuclear exchange. It may not be a cataclysmic nuclear exchange where the world ends, but it may be a tactical nuclear exchange. And if we're afraid of that, if we're actually afraid of that, then we should fold our tent and go home, because we will never be able to contain any of these despotic regimes. Ambassador Gordon Sunland, our guest. Ambassador, uh, the uh, Ukrainians need some aid. Uh, most Republicans will tell you they're supporting of Ukraine. It is absolutely in our interest, I see it, to support Ukraine. But right now they are starved for weapons. What, where do you, how do you characterize this war, and what do you think our role should be? 
This is the biggest tragedy in the last year, is this war in Ukraine is so winnable. And again, it depends on what, how you define winnable. Uh, it, it means pushing Putin out of the territory that he's taken. It means jeopardizing his hold on Crimea. And it does not involve U.S. boots on the ground. It involves significant uh, flood of U.S. weaponry, U.S. aircraft, to the Ukrainians, they are doing more than any ally could ever be expected to do without asking us to sacrifice our young men and women. And they are also helping us for pennies on the dollar to degrade Russian resources. And for whatever reason, our party has become somewhat isolationist again. Uh, I understand the walking and chewing gum argument. I understand closing our borders. I, I understand and agree with all of that. But Ukraine is an existential issue, and we should be focused very heavily on it. Yeah, I mean, uh, to put it this way, for people who say that Ukraine can't win, really, the Mujahideen forced the Soviets out of Afghanistan with a lot less training and a lot less weapons. Ukrainians show they're, they're more sophisticated. They're better fighters. The Russians are sacrificing Hundreds of thousands of troops, they're just leaving the bodies on the ground. I mean, they're seeing, they're seeing, their, uh, they're, they're seeing the damage that Ukrainians are doing. All they want is weapons to be successful. But Ambassador, is so frustrating because this president never explains the mission, and he slow walks every weapon system. Well, you hit on a bigger point. The president really needs to explain why Ukraine is important to the average person in Des Moines, Iowa, the president needs to explain why Israel's uh, security uh, is important to the United States, not just to Israel, but to the United States, and why we should potentially be in a kinetic conflict with Iran to prevent even a larger kinetic conflict. I hear a lot of, quote, people on the street making comments that I feel badly. They just don't understand. They haven't been educated. And I think the Biden administration has done an abysmal job of educating Americans as to why these things are important to them, not just to those countries. Yeah, and Mark Keeson has uh, spelled out brilliantly how this money is actually staying in America because we're modernizing our weapons. We're giving, we're putting our weapons into Ukraine so it's our uh, missile defense, and we have other allies that want to buy our weapons. So expand the, the industrial complex, make these weapons, modernize our forces, replenish our coffers, and know that American dollars are going to American companies so Americans can work on this stuff. It's not that we're giving it all away. Well, we're woefully behind on weapons production I mean, the Biden administration should issue emergency waivers whenever a manufacturer needs additional factory space, needs additional uh, infrastructure. Uh, local and state uh, permitting officials should not be allowed to stand in the way. It's a national security crisis, and those things should happen overnight, not take months and years while the environmental mm -hmm. lobby uh, you know, rails against production of more artillery, for example. So uh, do you believe that uh, on the on the, the political side of it, could you support Nikki Haley or Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Have you decided? Uh, I cannot support Joe Biden. I have not decided yet between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. I obviously know both of them well. 
but we are now at an existential crisis and another four years, not just of Joe Biden. Joe Biden, at the end of the day, is a nice man, but the people that he's allowed to run our government uh, are taking us off a cliff. And if anyone, any of them cared about him, he wouldn't be running, uh, in my view. Exactly. And better, uh, starting, with, starting with Mrs. Biden. Yeah, I, it just befuddles me. Ambassador, thanks so much. Appreciate your insight. Always enjoy it, Brian. Thank you for having me. You got it. one 408 7669 No matter of 10 minutes, Sid Rosenberg took his hit show, Sid and Friends, to Israel. He's been broadcasting there all week. He's going to be telling us what's happening when he's not on the air and when he is on the air. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You've talked about using some of Trump's money you're about to get to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas (laughs) for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel... You and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing in France? No? Oh, all right, all right. That's a joke. Although if if me fishing in France could do something for women's rights, I would take the hit. You know, I would obviously uh, take one for the team. All right, let me let me (laughs) as if as if you need persuasion in that regard. So that was Jean Carroll after beating Donald Trump for out for 50 or 70 or 80 million dollars, whatever it was. When they were asking for 10, it's such a insane, insane amount of money. They're appealing right away. I know he had to put $5 million aside for the last request, and he did do that, put it in escrow. I'm not sure what he has to do with this, but it's going to go right to an appeal. This is, this is astronomical, the money. But to see how crazy she's acting, that is a nutty exchange with Rachel Maddow. I thought she was going to put it to great uh, charitable causes. I guess she's having a good time. But this woman is absolutely bizarre. I don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. But I will say that when someone can say something took place in the mid-'90s and she can't really zero in on the year, and the plaintiff uh, and the defendant has no recollection of any of this. And it gets $83 million in an award. And knowing that she's fully funded her legal team by some left-wing lunatic who just wants to take down Trump. And none of the civil trials coming up. Another person ran on taking down Trump. This only politically, I think this helps the former president a lot. And as somebody told me, is like, you know, when they went after the president, it's like, okay, good. Let's get him on his crimes. And then all of a sudden they're hearing about these cases. We think he overestimated his properties. Okay. And he owes nothing. And there's so many plaintiffs. No plaintiffs. Who is the plaintiff? It's the attorney general. It's a civil suit. Okay. And you want what? I want damages of unpaid dollars that he should have been paying in taxes. Really? For overestimating buildings that banks lent to money on? That they have their own assessors to evaluate the risk of a loan. And now you say, well, he overestimated the size of his penthouse. It's not that big. Okay. He overestimated the size of his bedroom, his penthouse. 
That's never been done before by anybody, not the simplest middle-class family or the richest luxury yacht owner. Are you kidding? That's what you got him on? So when that award comes down, it'll be damaging to the president, but immediately he's going to go to appeal. The next one, I understand that they did a study on this. Uh, Mark Penn did a study. The thing that bothers people only have all the criminal cases. The only one that hurts the president politically is the January 6th case. And that's the one they're looking to rush. But that's the one he's claiming immunity because he was president for. And that's the one that's been basically shut down and, and put on ice, mothballed for them. See how that goes. Ryan Kilmeade Show, Sid Rosenberg, next from Israel. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. And right now it's my privilege to bring in a guy who uh, picked up stakes. He usually just right across town from me in New York City. But Sid Rosenberg decided he wanted to bring his show to Israel for a great reason. So he took Sid and friends there. And now he has a moment to exhale while I I hold down the the tent uh, until he can take over in 24 hours. Uh, Sid, welcome back to your network. Welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, it's great to be back with you, Brian. You know how much I love you, and it's always good to talk to somebody at home. Although I have to tell you, being a Jewish male, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, yes, New York is my home, but coming here to Israel for the first time ever, this is home too. So nice to be on home with you, but I feel like I'm home this week as well. Wow. Uh, what is it like? What has it been? Where have you se- what have you seen? Well, I've seen a lot. I was uh, at the Western Wall yesterday, and, and that was um, an unbelievable experience, seeing the, you know, the, the temple. Uh, you can still see rocks that are laying on the ground from the first time they tried to destroy the temple. Brian, those rocks have been there for the better part of two to 3,000 years, and you can see the rocks. Um, that was the Western Wall yesterday. Today we went to Gush Etzion. Last line when it comes to protecting Israel. They were wiped out, the butchers in 1948. They've resettled down twice. They too are in the short hairs of the Arabs and living a very, very frenetic and skittish life. And we expect to go down south on Friday to see the Novo Music Festival and, of course, the Kibbutzim that had all those horrors back on October the 7th. So we're seeing the central part of the state, uh, central part of Jerusalem, I should say, areas just to the north, and we expect to head south on Friday, which should be a very emotional day. So how how could it, how much is it, uh, the stories about the hostages, how much is it about the story in Gaza, how much uh, of the news is focused on what Hezbollah may or may not do? Well, i tell you this, uh, live on my show earlier today on WABC, I had Rachel Goldberg in studio right here. She lives five minutes away from the studios. I'm doing my show in, in Jerusalem. And uh, you know who she is? Her son, Hirsch, was uh, taken captive at the Novo Music Festival. He had his arm blown off on the elbow down. They've got video of that. The mother actually saw that. He sent his parents a text. This has been on Fox News a lot. She has, Rachel Goldberg, sent his parents a text when he first saw Hamas before he got in trouble, saying, I love you and I'm sorry. He said, I was sorry, Brian, because he knew that things were going to get very, very bad and his parents were going to suffer some pain and grief. And moments after he sent those two texts, I love you, I'm sorry, Hamas attacked him. 
blew his arm off from the elbow down, threw him in a truck, took him back to Gaza, and they have not heard from their son since that day. And, you know, sitting in front of Rachel, face-to-face, Brian, right here today for 30 minutes, you can see the grief but the courage. Man, I got to tell you, Brian, these are the most courageous people you'll ever meet. They know, they know that war in the North is inevitable. And let me say this, as ugly as it was with Hamas down in the South, and that was ugly, murders and rapes, throwing babies alive in ovens. It's not going to be like that in the war with the North, but it's going to really affect the whole country. Electrical grids, water, people in Jerusalem, way south of the northern part of this country, are scared what can happen when, in fact, Hezbollah and the North completely erupts. So for all the horror Mm. they went through down south back in October the 7th, the country is really bracing for something awful coming to the north. Right. And, and the risk is, too, is as, as well-armed as Hezbollah is, and they seem hesitant, Nasrallah seems hesitant, it's only going to get worse if they wait and they reload. They'll become more and more dangerous. And the question is, do you want this country, your country, Israel's country, our great ally, do you want them to, to get, while they're on this war footing, is this the time to take on all formidable foes? Or do you postpone it? Because you're not going to eliminate it by waiting. I don't know. It's a good question. Look, I think uh, Israel is dealing with so much these days, right? They, they need to get the hostages out. They need to completely eradicate Hamas in the south. They've got their eye on the north. You know, America is putting a tremendous amount of pressure on BB. Face it, folks that think that Biden and our administration is a friend. They're not. You know, you can't. You can't look at these Israelis in the face and say we're pro-Israel. But at the same time, not one but two administrations, dating back to his days of Barack Obama, Joe Biden has been funding Iran. Now, let's face it, you know, the loosening the restrictions, the sanctions. Forget about the $6 billion going back three months ago. Before that, Joe Biden made it easy for a ton of money from oil just from China. So the Americans are putting a lot of pressure on the Israelis. You know what I'm saying? And put together a two-month ceasefire, get the hostages out. But we don't know at this point how many hostages are still alive. We don't know where they are. And again, in the back of his mind, he has to know that the North is about to explode. And I think that will come sooner than later. Better predict, I'd say probably March. Because right now, Israel's like a boxer. They're the best boxer in the world. They're not going to hit the canvas. But they're on the ropes. They're on the ropes, and can they really afford another major attack yeah. both financially and in terms of, of, of manpower? So I think the world knows that, their enemies know that, and that puts Israel in a very precarious situation. So the, so uh, Israel got a hold of a dossier. Israel put out a dossier, and it's been out now. Fox has gotten it. You might have seen it. Reuters has it. That accuses 190 U.N. employees of ties to Hamas, including 13 who took direct action involved in the massacre on October 7th. Here's Brooke Goldstein. He's executive director of Lawfare Project. We immediately shut off the funds, but Trump shut him off his last two years in office. Cut 13. It's so offensive how everybody is 
claiming surprise, all of a sudden they find out that UNRWA is one of the largest uh, child trafficking, child abuse, money laundering, terror facilitating organizations in the world. You know, my organization back in 2013 co-produced a documentary film that we aired to members of Congress, including John Kerry, which conclusively proved with first-hand documentary evidence how UNRWA collaborates with Hamas, how UNRWA allows Hamas to use its facilities for military training, how UNRWA hires teachers off the Hamas payroll, including rocket engineers, and how UNRWA facilitates the active recruitment of innocent Muslim children as child soldiers and human shields. So, uh, this is this organization is the main aid giver and receiver and giver in Gaza. How big a story is this in Israel? And what about the, I think, 15 nations that have now going to stop uh, aiding this organization? Well, it's way too late. Stop it. And you're not going to convince me a lot of those nations didn't know about this already. It, it's a story here. But UNRWA is, is like a lot of other folks, you know. And you talked about Donald Trump, how he shut it down. Look. The Israelis say nice things about Biden and this administration because they need them, Brian. They need the money. They need the support. They're afraid if they say how they really feel, which is we really can't stand Biden. We miss Trump. It'll hurt them. So they all say the right things. But whether it's the government here in America, on one of these other countries, Israel trusts nobody. I was up in, in Gush Etzion today, and the common theme of the discussion from these two guys, these big big guys in security who are there protecting 26 different communities is, we don't trust anybody at this point. Israel feels like they have very few friends and a whole lot of enemies. So the UNRWA story is not very surprising. How they really feel about Joe Biden and this administration is not what we're getting back in the United States. They don't trust them. They can't stand them. And the truth is, Israel feels like in a lot of days, they're all alone out there. And they are the greatest place. Look, I walk around these, these neighborhoods, Brian. It's, it's, it's intimidating. The guys on every corner with guns. You know what I mean? I mean they're out there with long-range guns on just about every corner. But they're the nicest people in the world. They are so patriotic. We make a big deal in my neighborhood in Queens because six consecutive houses have American flags on the porch. Look how patriotic we are. There's Israeli flags on every house. They love this country. I spoke to a guy today from Los Angeles, from Chicago, we're going back. No way. Wait a second. They're killing your children. I don't care. I'm not leaving. That is the beauty, the patriotism in Israel that we'll never see, even with Trump in the United States. It's basically them against the world. So there's a story out today uh, that Qatar Prime Minister, is, who's helping to broker some type of hostage swap, uh, they said the deal would be phased with women and children first and describe the framework agreement that emerged from the from the Paris talks. It would be for every one free hostages, six prisoners from Israeli jails, Palestinians would be let out. Uh, I guess we'll find out soon. The exchange would be for maybe a month of non-bombing. So we'll see what what happens there. Um, but you're right in the middle of it, Sid. Final thought? My final thought is this. I think that the, the people of the United States need to pray for Israel. We talk a nice game. They're all ally. We love the Jews. We love the Israelis. But... They really need help. And if this thing really does explode in the north, they're in a very, very tough situation. Look, 
They gotcha. value life in a big way here, Brian. They'll give you a thousand Palestinians for one Israeli. For I know. Sid, we're going to be listening on 77 WABC all week. Sid and friends. Sid Rosenberg, thank you. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. In a matter of moments, we're going to go on FBN, one of the hottest uh, cable networks in the land. Special thanks to Sid Rosenberg for joining us uh, over from Israel, doing a great job over there, shedding light on a war that people always seem to get bored of. You know, we go to war, we get a conflict, and people go, yeah, we don't want to hear about it anymore. I always appreciated that he went over there and understood how much their war is our war. And they're coming here, and a lot of them are coming through the border. And we could pretend it, it's not going to happen or that people are hyping it or neocons are rooting for it. And it's just idiotic. Uh, just like when people say, we should not be responding to the Houthi attacks. Uh, we don't want war with Iran. How dumb is that? Nobody wants war with Iran, but they want war with us. Or they want to see how far they can take it before we actually do. So let's listen in. On the East Coast, and there he is in all his glory. Brian Kilmeade joins us now. Morning to you, Brian. I want to get into this story because it kind of raises the eyebrows and everything else. Vivek Ramaswamy claiming that this year's Super Bowl is going to be rigged in favor of the Chiefs. He says that's because it's going to set the stage for Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey to endorse President Biden on stage. Hmm. Do you think she's going to endorse Biden at the Super Bowl, Brian? Okay, number one, if there's going to be a fix at the Super Bowl, it'll be the biggest scandal in the history <laughs> of the world. Yes. Uh, it's the biggest game the whole world watches now. Nobody told the 49ers because I'm yeah. pretty sure they play tackle football pretty well, too. So it's a crazy yeah. statement. But about the Taylor Swift situation, it's written up today. I'm not sure if it's the New York Times or Washington Post. They seem to be the same paper. But they mm. talk about how the Biden administration wants to do this this unbelievable fundraiser with Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Who would have thought of using Democratic presidents? And then and number two, one has a little <laughs> Epstein problem. I'm not sure he should be bringing money in for anybody. But then the other story is yeah. how Taylor Swift, their special strategy is to get young people to vote, is to have the, her support him. Now, he, she evidently tweeted out support for him, and I saw the full screen this morning. I don't remember that. 2018, she mm. went for the candidate, uh, Phil Bredson, against Marsha Blackburn. Uh, Marsha Blackburn felt yeah. that she does have power, but it would be the single dumbest thing a mega superstar could ever do. Why would you tell half the country that you don't agree with them in this highly polarized time? You stay out of it. Hey, listen, I'm Taylor Swift. I like this guy. He happens to play football for a living. I'm on the stage a lot yep. selling out. That's it. I think I think it would be the craziest thing ever for her to do it. And Joe Biden's not worth it. I mean, my goodness, if you need Taylor Swift. Yeah. To get you another four years, that's how bad your first four years have been. You're done. You're finished. You're through. Talking of terms, I wanted to ask you this, Brian. What do you think of some of uh, Joe Biden's biggest policy failures of his first term so far? Well, number one, Afghanistan. Said he was not warned by any generals how bad yeah. this could go and how strong the Afghan army was. And then the problem was those generals got up and said under oath, I told him. General McKenzie, I told him. General, now Secretary of Defense, yeah. uh, Austin, now I told him. And the biggest one is, uh, is about to happen, uh, I think, now, with him refusing to act with force on militias in the area mm -hmm. and Iran at the throat of it all. And it's getting our men and women in harm's way, hurt, traumatic brain injuries, killed over the weekend. And the Houthi rebels now have a blowing up commercial tankers in the middle 
They have responded. We've hit them about seven or eight times. They've come back over and over again. So by him refusing to act with authority and using the money that has been allocated to him through a huge defense budget of $900 billion plus annually, he has allowed us to look weak and vulnerable. And I feel bad for the families knowing that their people are serving in arm's way now and are not allowed to be on the front foot mm-hmm. to take action before their attack like what happened in Jordan over the weekend. And very quickly, Brian, another huge failure is the border, which really galls me, is that this has been going on. Fox is one of the only outlets that's been showing daily what's going on at the border. They refused to say it was a crisis. Then they eventually caved, and then they blamed the Republicans for it. No one can take that seriously, can they? Well, I mean, the Republicans got to go out and don't rant, don't rave, hit them with facts. Uh, I know that Senator Lankford's getting a bad rap for trying to work out a deal. He's a great guy. I want to see the deal. But if the deal is out there and allows any discretion with the president of the United States, nobody has any faith that he's committed to doing anything. That's the problem. He'll look like he got something done, but nothing will change. That's what I think Republicans fear because there's no commitment. Whatever you think about Trump, he was committed to getting that border sealed. Even his enemy said, wow, this guy's way too aggressive. I want a guy or a woman that wants to be that aggressive, that cares about our, our, our security. And doesn't want to overrule the Border Patrol. Do you know Amen. the Border Patrol does not get overtime? That's something we should change right away. Mm. Got it. Brian, as always, terrific stuff. Thanks for uh, joining us this morning. Thanks for having uh, me. Appreciate still it. Still ahead. Uh, yeah, those are uh, a few of the things going on on FBN. We have a lot of similar things. But Vivek Ramaswamy is trying to say, uh, is just throwing it out there. He gets a lot of headlines. But he also says a manufactured relationship between Travis Kelsey and... Uh, Taylor Swift, Erica, I always go to you for relationship issues. And, like, Allison's pretty good at it, but you're great at it. Is that a real relationship? Can we put this to bed? I think so. It's real, right? And I think it's given the Biden administration a lot of credit to suggest that they somehow engineered this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that they'd get him to throw the the 49ers to throw the game? Right, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, what are they going to do? Just not kick it off to the 49ers, Allison? We forgot they were supposed to receive the ball? Yeah, I mean— yeah, something like that with the football talk. But the other point I read, I mean, Republicans think this through. Do you want to really get all the Swifties ticked off at the GOP? Like, no. Like, what What are you doing? She has a huge legion of fans. Let them be more in the middle. Like, why are you targeting her? Like, I don't see how this ends well. You know, there were certain people, like the first African-American president, where people say, I want to put it on the line. I think even Michael Jordan did for that. I know Michael Jordan, as a favorite of Phil Jackson, came out and endorsed Bill Bradley. He didn't want to do it. He really was against it, but he said, as a favor to me, would you do that when he was in the primary for Al Gore? Why? Bill Bradley played for the Knicks. They came up together. They were teammates together. He looked up to him. Everyone did. The Princeton grad who went on to great things in the Senate. So uh, I think Michael Jordan immediately regretted it. Obviously, I don't, I don't know if uh, Michael Jordan's a Trump fan. I know Tiger Woods likes Trump. Uh, I saw Rory McIlroy was pointed out to me last night. He was played Trump, had a great time playing with Trump, wrote in magazines. What was says like, I'll never play with him again. Why? If you like the guy, you like the guy. I mean, I can't, you know, crazy. Everything doesn't have to be political. You can like a person, just not say right. where you are politically. You can say he's fun, he's charismatic. Oh, he's a Republican? I didn't know. Sorry. <laughs> From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. 
Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we have a lot going on today. The president finally made some remarks. They were in delay. They're on tape. We're going to get them summarized by because the audio is terrible. Uh, Jackie, it's not their fault. No audio guy's fault. It's just that he just walks over to the general public and starts answering some questions haphazardly. It's totally irresponsible. I don't know why the press puts up with this. Dana Perino at the bottom of the hour. Jackie Heinrich from Washington from the White House lawn in about 10 minutes. But there's a lot going on today. It's, it's really not a luxury for the president not to be in communication with the press and the American people after the loss of American lives in the Middle East, which we watched 167 attacks, most of which have been unanswered. A quick uh, personal announcement. Uh, if you go to BrianKilme.com, which I imagine most people uh, go to every single day, the one thing is uh, clear. I got one event coming up in April. It seems like a long time away, but it creeps up on you. It's uh, go to. It's in Henderson, Nevada, right outside Las Vegas, the Green Valley Ranch uh, Grand Event. Uh, you will see uh, it's at 2300 Paseo Verde Parkway. Uh, I know a lot of people will focus on the Super Bowl, but there'll be a lot of buzz about my appearance there. Talk about uh, America winning the war in history. It's a fun, entertaining, patriotic, inspirational, motivational night. We just did it on Fox Nation. You can see a preview on Fox Nation now, but it's just a great time, and I got a chance to meet you with VIP opportunities. You just go to BrianKillMead.com. Uh, it's a chance to get uh, the best tickets. They're already selling pretty well, so thank you for that. Uh, meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What you've seen with the president is he's made some decisions, whether it's um, working with his EPA to ban gas-driven cars, banning or a moratorium on exporting of natural gas. He's actually having to play to his base to a degree that's really uncomfortable at this stage of a campaign. Yeah, I would say so. 2024, Joe Biden has a secret weapon. It's the same one Travis, Travis Kelsey is using. It's called Taylor Swift. I'll try to explain. Number two. I've been an active Republican my whole life. Every once in a while, part of the party becomes suicidally stupid. <laughs> that bill is suicidally stupid. It makes no sense. I, I, I will oppose it every way I can. Uh, absolutely. The Speaker of the House has not read it yet, but says it's a bad bill, this border bill. Chaos in every phase of the border. As Texas stands strong against Biden, a massive border deal is dividing before it's even released. And the world's refugees break our laws by streaming in illegally. And we transfer them right to the cities that say they welcome them. Number one. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. But we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves and to respond appropriately to these attacks. Okay, we'll see, Admiral. We are waiting, waiting for anyone in the Biden administration to inspire confidence that they have a plan to pay back Iran for their proxy attacks that killed three Americans, wounded dozens more. If we don't act strongly, more U.S. forces will die. I'm sure you can wrap your head around it. You get it. Uh, Jackie Heinrich joins us now uh, from the White House lawn. Hey, Jackie. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. So you heard from the president today? Yeah, he just said, Brian, on the South Lawn, as he was heading off to a couple of political events in Florida, that he has made his decision on whatever the coming action is going to be. He didn't say what it was. They're still being very careful not to telegraph any punches, as they like to put it. Uh, but we have gathered, uh, just from the responses they've given so far, that whatever happens is pretty likely to fall short of what congressional Republicans are calling for, which is to take strikes inside Iran. 
Um, every time we asked that question to any administration official yesterday, the answer that we got was we don't seek a conflict with Iran and we don't want to escalate, which says that they view strikes in Iran as escalatory. Um, and there are reports that the options on the table before the president included striking Iranian personnel in Iraq and Syria or assets in the Persian Gulf. Uh, neither of those two options, obviously, are strikes within Iran itself. So we will wait and watch. But we have also heard that whatever happens likely won't be a one-off. Um, we're likely to see something happen over a period of time and in phases. So when this begins, whenever it begins, it, it likely is not going to be, um, you know, something that we, we watch one time and then that's the end of it. All we hear, Jackie, is um... – we don't want a war with Iran. We don't want to escalate things. We don't want war with Iran. Why, why, when we get hit, are we so worried about escalating things? Clearly, our enemies are not worried like we are. Well, you know, this has been sort of a hallmark of this administration. I mean, you'll remember when Putin was staging troops on the Ukrainian border, and we put the question to the, to the White House of why don't you enact preemptive sanctions? Uh, because you're you're saying that your sanctions package is going to be so damaging that it'll you know back Russia off. Why not issue it preemptively to send that message now? And they said they didn't want to escalate then. Um, this has been sort of the the perspective of the administration whenever they're tackling any significant foreign policy issue or military issue. And not only do they want to ensure that they don't escalate whatever that is in that their view, but they also typically want to have the support and um, you know, sort of cooperation of our allies and partners. So we don't know if we're going to see any other country partake in what comes next. Uh, this last time the U.S. responded, there were the U.K. played a role in the strikes on proxy forces that we, we took in Syria. Um, so I, I would imagine that a piece of what the president is discussing also involves communication with our allies. So we have Secretary of State Blinken say this: uh, the region has been more da- is more dangerous now than any time since the Yom Kippur War, nineteen seventy three. They realize that eight days prior to the October seventh attacks, Jake Sullivan says it was the most peaceful time in Middle East history or in his lifetime, and the irony there and how they missed it. Has there been an acknowledgement that there is an intelligent family failure on ours too? No, and that's just not something you get out of this administration. I mean, I asked I asked John Kirby yesterday, does the president have any regret over not striking back decisively enough to prevent the deaths of these three U.S. soldiers? And he denied that, that what we have seen happen up until now wasn't forceful enough. He pointed to the, you know, slate of economic uh, sanctions that the U.S. put on Iran and said, you know, sort of pushed back on the notion that there hadn't been enough. So this is not traditionally an administration that you see admit its mistakes, um, even though the you know message to Iran don't obviously did uh, not work. Uh, no one has said, hey, um, yeah, that was maybe a mistake. We should have done something more. Our secretary of defense is back at work. But when speaking yesterday, he was hardly intimidating. He looked like he was still recovering to be kind. KJP talked about the military. Every time she does, you really understand why John Kirby has to stay close. Listen to this. Cut five. Our deepest, uh, obviously, our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three folks who are who are military folks, who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration, of the American people. Okay, 
I mean, at one point, does, does Admiral Kirby just walk up and go, I'll take it from here? I mean, she said well, fighting for I the administration. Think, yeah, that's that's really the line there that kind of um, stopped me in my tracks is, you know, our U.S. forces, our armed services don't fight on behalf of any administration. I mean, they, they fight on behalf of the country, no matter who is leading it. So that that was just, you know, plainly a mistake. Um, this is also, you know, not her wheelhouse. She handles a lot of the domestic stuff, and John Kirby handles the foreign policy and military-related stuff. And, and you know, that those are where they're more successful, um, each of them, in, in answering questions. Kirby does have, you know, difficulty answering questions about the border, for instance, occasionally. It has not been until recently <laughs> sort of in his, uh, you know— in his package of things that he's in charge of. So they, they each of them have their areas of struggle, but uh, that was a particularly troublesome answer that she gave there. Does the president plan on having a press conference ever? I'd love to know. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to have one and I'd love to know. Uh, we don't see any signals of the, of that. Um, you know, he is overdue for one, for sure. And this is as good a time as any to hold one um, when you have had more than 165 attacks on U.S. forces overseas, uh, 120 injuries plus the 40 uh, or so or during the uh, Tower 22 attack. Um, it's not just the press who's wanting to hear from the president. It's the American people and especially these families who have their loved ones, um, you know, fighting for our country overseas. It's it's time that he address them. Uh, we will see, though, if that's something that he does. It's he has um, not seized at opportunities that seemed ripe ripe for comment in the past. So uh, this whole UNRWA thing is even bigger than anyone thought. And as N- Nikki Haley told me this morning on Fox and Friends, she said, I knew about this. I knew how corrupt this organization was with the United Nations. That's why we had zero dollars go there the last two years that I was there. And now we find out 190 UNRWA workers uh, were Hamas or Islamic Jihad operatives. Twelve were specifically accused of operating in the October 7th uh, involvement with the kidnapping and all the killing. Three, I guess, wish they lost their lives. They're also in charge of distributing aid to people in Gaza. So we are immediately uh, denying them aid. And we're joined by 15 other countries. Are we really that surprised that this group was up to this? Because now it seems that most people who in the know said, we've been telling them for years. You know, it, it seems like they are genuinely surprised, and that's pretty shocking because back in October, uh, my colleague at Fox Business, Edward Lawrence, did this report about this very accusation about the uh, UNRWA employees who were involved in the October 7th attacks, um, and he had some – I forget the, you know – the detail of his report, but OpenTheBooks.com was a one of the sources of sort of going through the money uh, that has gone to this organization and pouring over, you know, the problems with that. And when he did that story, the response he got from the White House initially was, you know, to walk him off of it, saying like, we we haven't heard anything about this. Certainly don't, you know, don't run with this reporting until we've had a chance to look at what you're talking about and and put together an answer for you, um, as if it was, you know brand new, hadn't been a, a simmering issue for a couple of years. Uh, and that was back in October. 
And now here we are at the end of January and we're getting responses out of the administration or out of the State Department. You know, they're finally making some decisions around it and that's triggering other countries to follow suit. Uh, but this should not be new. Um, there have been you know, well-documented problems with this organization. And Nikki Haley and certainly others under the Trump administration were the first to say that. So, you know, the president's getting it from all fronts. Senator Warren is leading a bicameral coalition of 19 Democrats pressing Biden administration for answers about bypassing Congress to approve arm transfer to Israel. Not even, you know, it's not Iran, not North Korea, but to Israel. Uh, how fringe is this, if at all? Is that a sense, even among the president's party, that he is he is uh, bypassing them? You know, I think it's it's more fringe than... It sounds, I think, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have a lot of these members who are up for reelection, remember, uh, facing the same angst from their constituencies that the president is facing. And you've got a lot of young voters and uh, Muslim American voters, Arab American voters who are upset with the administration's support for Israel and uh, sort of the, you know, green light it's given to Israel prosecuting this war in Gaza. And that is the response that we're seeing from some of these Democrats is they want to add into legislation um, oversight uh, controls where, for instance, if you're going to send any foreign aid, there has to be um, humanitarian benchmarks that are met. I, I think a good chunk of this is a response to sort of the voter outrage about it. And that's because you have people who are learning about, uh, you know, what's happening overseas from TikTok and Instagram. They're not following reputable sources of information. So when you get, you know, sort of a slanted view of why the U.S. is backing Israel, um, that's the kind of voter right. angst that these lawmakers are confronted with. I do think, though, that it's, it is still more fringe than it seems because most Democrats do want to see aid continue to Israel. Right. Uh, and I guess the president word is over the weekend that he was going to slow walk some weapons until Netanyahu gets the message that he's got to be more discriminant in this battle over in Gaza. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Jackie, what's the rest of your day look like? What do you expect? You already got maybe some somewhat of a surprise remarks from the president. What does the rest look like? Well, he's heading to these um, events in Florida. I don't think we're going to see him on camera. Um, and he doesn't get back to the White House until pretty late tonight. I think it's like 10 o'clock. So relatively quiet day here. But, of course, what we're really watching for is this response this, to, the, to the, um, the strikes that are going to happen at some point, um, you know, overseas, whether it's in Iraq, Syria, Iran, or the Persian Gulf. I mean, all our eyes are over there. Right. So, you know. We got we own the clock on this one, uh, as someone put it, and at the Pentagon put it. And who knows when that's going to happen? Right. But that's what we're watching. Yeah, we know there has to be an investigation on how that drone got in, how it was confused by our own drone, and that's how mm-hmm. it was able to to breach. I don't know if that was timed, if that's even possible. Uh, but have we fixed that? Uh, will there be an investigation? Lastly, do you think the president's going to go to Dover when uh, the bodies of the three soldiers come back? Well, I was really surprised to hear yesterday when we asked if the president had contacted the families or if he plans to go to the dignified transfer, that they had nothing to read out on that question. Um, that was a very, very surprising answer to me. So we have not gotten answers yet. It could still change, obviously. But um, we're, you know, what, three days in now? Yeah. Uh, those phone calls should have happened by now. And uh, I would expect to know that 
the president, you know, does have plans to attend a dignified transfer uh, of these three fallen soldiers. All right, Jackie Heinrich, you gave us a lot. Thanks so much. Stay safe. Thanks, Brian. You got it, Jackie Heinrich. Uh, When we come back, I'll take your calls. Dana Prino is getting ready to join us. She left her best stuff uh, 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 for us. She just phoned it in for with Hammer. She gave all great information is coming your way. But next will be your phone calls. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So there's an ad that's going to roll in the Super Bowl. This is actually a Super Bowl ad. We have a preview of it. So this is going to be Kate McKinnon and a mayo cat advertising mayonnaise because we're looking for a non sequitur, and this fit the bill. Leftover chicken, scallions, cheese. What am I going to make with this? Mayo. Mayo. Hellman, you can talk. And then she says, and boom, Hellman saves the leftovers. She can't spell. It's think? a cat meowing, but when if you say ahead of time it's saying mayo, it sounds like mayo. Right. Okay. No. They do a little thing with Pete Davidson, too, but that was way too visual. But we're just previewing some of the ads. Instead of just the day after the Super Bowl right. saying, here are some of the ads, now you can look out for it. Now we can look out for it. So, yeah, I don't know. Kate McKinnon's funny. Uh, it just reminded me, like, when Saturday Night Live was funny. But that's, that's for another Anything time. she does. Did you see the Barbie movie? No. Oh, it was actually very good. But um, she was very she was hilarious in it. I will say that she's in the Barbie movie. She is. She's weird Barbie. She plays the Barbie that every you know every kid cuts off their hair and draws on their face. She plays that Barbie, and I don't know. I laughed out loud many a times. <laughs> All right, I hear much some things like whatever you do, don't watch the Barbie movie. I was. And- Shocked by how good it was. Right. But do you believe that all the women were not good enough to get awards? I, I Actually, Brad Meltzer put out, he goes, this is the exact plot of the Barbie movie. Nominate Ken and not Barbie or the director. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's very. But, well, one is supporting actor. But they're different yeah. categories. That yeah. is. That, it's not that like Ken beat Barbie. That's true. That is the other argument. Beat Barbie. I mean, beat out Barbie. Correct. Right. Totally different categories. Yeah, I don't want to give away a plot that didn't happen. Yes. Which would mean it would be impossible to give away plots that don't happen. But you should watch the movie. I guess. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So Dana Perino, kind enough to come uh, in to do uh, my show. Fresh off her two hours with Bill Hemmer, which is taxing on anybody. Even though he comes off very professional. Dana Prino, you're very professional, too. Uh, we're just riding all these storylines. I'm trying to interpret what you're saying while doing this show at the same time. But the president <laughs> finally spoke. He came out and spoke. And I mean, he said things. But I'm trying to look at the closed caption that had to be produced. It said moments ago. First off, I'm going to roll the clip when he actually says something about the border. But overall, your statement about his statement. I think it is atrocious and unforgivable, really, what this press office is doing, thinking that having the president of the United States, who cannot be heard without a mic on a good day in a silent room, think that it's good enough for the commander in chief at a time of great peril, after three U.S. soldiers were just killed, that it's good enough for him to take three questions 
from the press that are shouted at him over the worrying blades of Marine One as he's about to leave. It is professionally insulting, I think. Also, it's not good for him. It's not good for them. If they are tired of the questions about the president's mental capacity and coherence, a great way to stop that would say, okay, fine, you don't want him to take questions because you're afraid of what he's going to say? Whatever. All right. Put him in the diplomatic reception room. That's the room just in the middle of the White House where the president goes in and out to get to Marine One. You could put a little podium there. We used to do this on occasion. The president's going to make a statement before he leaves for South Florida where he's going to do campaign events. Fine. It's set. It's contained. There's audio. You can hear him. They might shout questions at him, but who cares? He's not going to answer them and walk out. But that way, at least the American people, our troops, our allies, and our adversaries could clearly hear what the president is saying in this moment. He takes a question that says, have you decided to hit back against Iran? He says, yes. First of all, why are you even saying yes? Just say, you'll hear from me soon. Or I'm not going to disclose that, but you can bet I'm on top of it. I just think it's driving me crazy, Brian, that they're so bad at this. Right. And that his instincts are not good enough to say, this will not stand. It comes from the top, ultimately. But if his instincts are that I need to be able to explain this better to the American people in a way that they will understand, hear me, trust me, have confidence in me that I've got their best interest in mind, that I'm going to do the best job that I can, then I don't know what to think about the next nine months. So I want you to hear what Dana's talking about. This is the better portion of it when he's (laughs) asked about the border. Have you done everything you can do with executive authority or is there more you could do? So give me the power. I need the power. Obviously, that's not that's in, that's a statement that used to be challenged. But that's the quality of of his position at a time in which we're going to be debating on a massive border change over the next few days. We're about to see this proposal. Dan, is this an opportunity? To to get ahead of it and and set the table for it. And also because he wants to be the one that says, I tried. I tried to get this through. I really tried to put some muscle behind it and power through. He hasn't. Senator Langford is taking it on the chin because he's at least willing to go out there and give it a shot. They're not communicating very well either. But there is this circular, circular argument going on where whoever's in Congress at the time in power says that the executive branch should do it. The executive branch says Congress can do it. If the executive branch does something that the congressional leaders don't like, they say we need the power. And then it just goes around and around like that. I wish in some ways, Brian, that we could just take a blank slate and say, if you were creating our border law from scratch, what would it look like? And get everybody on the same page on that and go from there. Because right now they're trying this patchwork that is is not working. And plus, we just had 300,000 people come through in December. That was a record. And they're like, we've done everything that we can. Uh, just know. last month on on Brett Baer's show, Mayorkas had this infuriating interview where he won't call the issue a crisis. He says, it's a challenge, not a crisis. Says it 20 times. What does Biden say last week? I've always said it's a crisis. Well, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. Of course not. And the other thing is Mayorkas is going to be in, I guess they're starting with impeachment proceedings today. Mm-hmm. Uh, some say he has votes. Others say he doesn't. It's going to be close, but you know it's going to die in the Senate. Then is this worth it, do you think, politically? I, I, I guess. I mean, I think that 
when you think of high crimes and misdemeanors, is Mayorkas the problem or is Biden the problem? And in a way, does Biden get off easy if Mayorkas is the focus? Right. So Mayorkas is just enforcing what the president wants to do. Right. But Mayorkas has also gone to Congress and said several times that the border is secure. The border is closed. And one of the articles that they're pushing is for lying to Congress. And because now you actually have the president of the United States saying, I've always said it was a crisis. So in a way, I think that the House Republicans are like, we got you there. But doesn't that remind you of something during the Trump years? And I think it was negative. You'd be a press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders or Kayleigh McEnany, and they make a statement, and then the president would come out and say something totally the opposite. Right. They go, what's wrong with this White House? Oh, my goodness, they're <laughs> contradicting each other. Yeah. What's happening? Uh, big picture question now. You talk about the changing of the parties and their stances. I did not miss uh, that uh, That uh, today, I think it was Congressman Massey came out and said, there's no way we should be talking about a strike on Iran after what happened over the weekend, three of our people killed. And I've seen the same thing from uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, and Tucker came out and said that. I know he has a lot of uh, power still in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd hear a clear-thinking Republican who understood the gravity and success and failures in the past in the Middle East would ever think it's to our advantage to walk away when attacked 167 I recently read a piece, I believe it was in Foreign Policy magazine. It was about Republicans. And I didn't – I'm with you because my um, experience and my history only goes back far enough that I can say this is what Republicans have believed since I was a little kid, and that was the Reagan doctrine. Eisenhower actually – one of the reasons he decided to run for office – for president is because he was concerned about the isolationist wing of the Republican Party taking hold. So he decides to run for office. This is a great new book for you. He decides is that the to... one you gave me yesterday? No, no. Uh, oh. No, there was something oh, separate. Okay. But I'm saying that if you need another book assignment, I oh. think that Eisenhower might be kind of interesting because he says, I want to, one of the reasons he says he wants to run for president is so that he can say it's important for America to be engaged in the world. He never said, Let's be the world's policeman. But he was basically saying, we are the bright, shining light. We have to be out in front. So there has been a strain of that for a while. And I get it that nobody wants to go to war. But one of the things that we have is Mike Pompeo saying, we might not want to go to war with Iran, but if they're at war with us, there's a problem. Jared Cohen on the Fox News Rundown today, he's the global affairs at Goldman Sachs. He talks about how COVID took our eye off the ball when it came to fighting terrorism. And that we thought that with supply chain issues and a need to focus on China, that the terrorists would take a back seat and that we're finding out, oh, that's not true either. I, I want to say, um, Mike uh, Pompeo said this with you yesterday. Cut 10. It's pretty clear that the Biden administration's policies have resulted in a huge conflagration. I hear people talking about whether we're going to end up at war with Iran. I, I can assure you the Iranians are at war with the United States today. They've now killed American servicemen. These three certainly in these past days, if we stay on our back foot, if we continue to be reactive, if we continue to say, gosh, when they do something, we're going to we're going to hold them accountable. The Iranians will continue at this and it will not only be in Israel and Gaza, it will be all across the world. So uh, I, I, I obviously I agree with him. I heard him say that and was exchanging text messages with him because they were actually attacking us. What do you mean? You know, you got to figure out what you're going to do. We're and we keep on saying every time we're hit. Go, we don't want a war with Iran. Okay, okay we got it. No, no one got up in the morning and thought, Admiral Kirby wants a war with Iran. I mm-hmm. get it. 
you don't have to state that. We were just hit. We should not be making excuses for an attack back that we didn't haven't made yet. But big picture question. I talked about the separation of the Republican Party. We don't talk about the separation in the Democratic oh, Party. That's big. So listen to like Bill Moore talk about where his party has gone. Cut twenty four. I spent a long time um, lecturing the Republicans on how ridiculous it was to deny what was happening with the environment and global warming. Right. Um, And now I have to talk, and they would say, well, you know, climate change is just a theory. And now there's people on the left who think that biology is just a theory. You know, it's that kind of stuff. Men can have babies kind of stuff that makes people go... Trump is nuts. That's true. We know that. But this is a different kind of nuts that's closer to my house because you're, you know, my kids are coming home from school and they're like, am I queer? Because, like, it's great that we could, like, let kids come out and be themselves when they are. But it's gotten a little like um, entrapment with the FBI, you know. So, I mean, he speculates openly in two, you know, between his show and his blog. I watch him go back and forth. And I if I just tuned in and and you just said... Brian, this guy's got a really good podcast. Listen, I would not know if he's a Democrat or Republican. That's interesting, yeah, because the Democrats definitely have problems. In fact, over the weekend, Nancy Pelosi was heckled at outside of her house by some far-left protesters who are upset about her support for Israel and the war against Hamas. And she says, why don't you go back to China? And I think she meant because that's where they get their funding, these left-wing groups. That must have been what it was. I don't know. But I was thinking, wow, if Pelosi's getting protested at her house, every speech Biden goes to is being interrupted by hecklers, not from the right, but from the left, that they've got problems, too. Absolutely. You know what she said on Sunday to Dana Bash? Russia was behind a lot of these protests here. Really? So was China on Monday? Russia. (laughs) Russia on Monday. Russia, Russia, Russia. So listen to Joe Rogan talk about why he left California, cut 23. These blue bubbles where everyone's gone insane. Well, I used to be a part of the blue bubble. I, I was 100% a left-leaning person who lived in Los Angeles. At the end of the day, I'm way more left than I am right. But California went nuts, man. It's gone like full communist. It's out of its mind. They ruined the city. I'm in the middle now. I'm in the middle. I'm in the I middle. Never, I never thought I would ever never, say that. Never. They're yes. in a cult. They're in a cult. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and Governor Newsom's control of that cult. And everyone's like, oh, he's going to be the next president. Really? Look at his report card. But one of the reasons you see Newsom out so much is because Biden can't be. And I think you're going to see a lot of Newsom because he has said, "Okay, I'll do it. I'll be the one who goes out there and does all the interviews on his behalf. Right. Well, I, I can't imagine you approving his appearance over the weekend because he literally sounded like a guy at a pep rally. But totally, instead of looking like a statesman and saying this is what he brings to the table, he was totally out of his mind. Listen to how he describes Joe Biden's administration. Cut 20. We need to lift up the issues, the successes, the extraordinary successes of the last three years, the Biden-Harris administration, and then we drive contrast. It's not even a complicated campaign. We have the receipts. We have the best three-year record of any modern American presidency, period, full stop. It's so funny. What? I just saw that uh, that Joe Biden has the second worst third year approval ratings for any president in history. And the only one worse was Jimmy Carter. And he's sort of getting there now. The uh, the economic outlook might look a little brighter. But what on the th- one of the things I learned recently from somebody who follows politics even more closely than I do is that when voters go 
to vote in an election. They don't necessarily think about what currently is happening in the economy, that they remember what's happened in the last three years. So if I were the Biden people, of course, if Gavin Newsom is going to say that. And I think that they do believe that the Inflation Reduction Act is all of a sudden going to galvanize a lot of voters. I don't think that's going to be the case. I do think you'll have a lot of double haters, right, people who hate both sides. So a couple of things. What about the fact that about three months ago he came out and goes, yeah, I never should have named it Inflation Reduction Act. It has nothing to do with inflation, which we were saying and we were told mm-hmm. we're just running down an act. Yeah. So you, you admitted you lied, like the Vikings, they make Greenland, Iceland, and Iceland, yep. Greenland. Did you hear about that? <laughs> uh, number two, um, I think for the first time, no one ever said to me, Brian, you remind me of Larry Kudlow. So I'm willing to say that my economic background does not look to the um, – Donald Trump's not going to call me to, to help me out. But – the thing that's screwing up Joe Biden more than anything else is inflation because we've gone about 35 years without any inflation. So people don't understand, like, why is that something I just bought? Why is it so dramatically more expensive? And if I'm living a paycheck to paycheck, I don't mind getting a few beers. It's, I'm not really going to feel it. And all of a sudden I do feel it. And I got two kids and all of a sudden those expenses and notebooks are all up. They can't figure it out. And then when someone gets up there and says, the number's looking good, unemployment's looking great, GDP is turning around, look how much better we are than other countries, they go, okay, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't know why this is so expensive. But I grew up hearing inflation on television all the time, not even knowing what it meant. Inflation, inflation's a problem, inflation's a problem. And then it just stopped until Joe Biden came in and passed those two massive rescue packages. Yep. And it went up, up, and up. And I think part of the other thing is it compounds because rent is up and child care is up. And, and, you, and people can't, buy a mor- get, can't get a mortgage because inflation – I'm sorry, interest rates, right. which is part of the inflationary piece. So it, it is a cycle that they're in that is really bad. Now, maybe we'll have a softer landing than people imagine, and I hope that's true for everybody. I don't want anyone to suffer. But the child care cost is a huge issue right now. And they're trying to get that child tax credit through. They want the child tax credit, but it's not going to matter. If your child care has gone up two and a half times, right. the child tax credit is not going to make a big difference. It's not necessarily a terrible idea, but it's not going to be the answer. His answer will be get the illegal immigrants to watch your children. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Back in a moment. Here are the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to, to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. A few more minutes with uh, Dana Perino. Uh, Dana, which, what about your podcast that everybody's talking about? Oh, are, is everyone talking about it of for course. real? Allison, how many people are talking about uh, Dana's <laughs> podcast? Millions. Well, let go. me just tell you something. Allison is the kind of person that I did the podcast for. Why? Because I wanted, well, I, I wanted, first of all, it's efficient for me because I'd be calling these people anyway. It's called Perino on Politics. So I call up my friends and I say, what do you think? What's going on? GOP primary, Democrats, what's going on? What am I missing? And that's the extent of the podcast. I get their answer. So it's like 20 minutes or so. And I keep it at a 30,000-foot level so that moms like Allison can like – obviously, she knows everything though. But so that moms can get a little bit of a taste. Like they don't want to get in the weeds and be upset about politics all day long. But they want to know enough about what's going on to feel conversant and that they have a handle on things. And so we keep it a little bit light as well. Um, So I love it. This week I had Jim Garrity of National Review as my guest. Wow. So you, and you can go as long as you want, right? I could go as long as I want, but I, my goal is never to make anybody sit longer than 30 minutes. I think that's good. Uh, and by the way, it's Perino on politics. Perino on politics. So yeah. this is the whole thing with uh, with podcasts I don't get. Now, we have a, a long podcast. This is a radio show. We make it a podcast if you want. 
But like I listen to Joe Rogan, I can appreciate it, but I can never get through the whole one. I mean, when do I ever have three hours? Let me tell you one that I listened to that was long, but what? really worth it. Do you know Lex Fridman? I know. He has a podcast. He had hosted a debate between Ben Shapiro and some liberal named Destiny, who I'd never heard of. They had the most intelligent, civil debate. It lasted almost two hours. I had it at 1.2 speed. And over the course of the whole weekend, I they had it in different segments. I listened to the whole thing. Fabulous. But I agree with you. Long ones are sometimes difficult. Right. And it was one of those personal attacks. It was an issue based. Oh, my gosh. They did foreign policy, domestic policy, January 6th, Trump versus Biden. And it was really civil. And I would say that Ben Shapiro mopped the floor with this guy, but in such a nice way. <laughs> Rather than insulting, we go, well, you're the yeah. stupidest person I ever met. And then, and, the, and, I, he, and it's very good if you're learning how to debate or you want to learn better how to have a conversation like that. Listen to how Ben picks his battles. Right? He doesn't try to answer every charge. He'll just pick like one or two and say, let me pick up on that and then drive it home. It's right. great. I can't imagine uh, Ben Shapiro on high speed. I mean, how did you speed him up? 1.2. Uh, yeah, just 1.2. All right, Dana, we're going to watch you tomorrow between 9 and 11. We're going to look pretty normal Thank politics. Thank you. I'll be on the 5 tonight, too. And you'll get starring yourself. Yes. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.